As the kids go out, I'm just reminded of so many of you that serve our children in nursery and Sunday school and children's sermon. And we prayed for a long time that the Lord would bring the kids, and he's done so in abundance. And so we praise him for that, and I thank you for the way that you serve this body by serving the kids. Um, Thank you. We turn this morning in our third week of Advent to uh, a story in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. It's an account that you know well. Uh, I pray today that we will hear it with fresh ears. It is the story of Jesus' birth. It's a story that is really played out on two levels. There is the, the earthly level and the heavenly level, but the time came for those two stories to intersect, and as a result, everything has changed. We're going to look there today. Before we do, let us bow in prayer. Father, this is your word. It is it's good, it is true, it is beautiful. We pray that as we approach it, that you would give us fresh eyes, fresh ears, Uh, To see and hear Jesus. And to hear why he has come. Would you do this, we ask, in his name. Amen. Uh, Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because, because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. the latest installment of the Savior Coach storyline came to us a couple of weeks ago when LSU hired Brian Kelly away from Notre Dame. As I uh, think about that whole saga, I'm, I'm reminded of the imagery that was captured to tell this storyline. Um, It was quite something, actually, uh, his introduction into Baton Rouge. It was almost as if it were scripted in Hollywood. (laughs) The private jet flew into, I suppose, South Bend, Indiana, to to pick him up. And and so the camera crews were there. They they were there to to get the footage of, of Kelly boarding the plane, the doors closing, and the takeoff. But, interestingly enough, it's not just that there were camera crews there 
in South Bend to, to capture the departing of the plane, they were also on the plane. So there were scenes of them uh, looking around the inside of the jet with every image meant to reinforce the importance of Coach Kelly. They captured the, the plush leather seats on this jet. They, they, they spanned the, the camera around, and, and there were a lot of empty seats, which just reinforced the fact that they sent a big jet for a couple of people. And it was mostly Kelly, but of course, they, they captured the athletic director, Scott Woodward at LSU, who had made a name for himself in supposedly big game hunting. He, he set his sights high to get the right guy, and, and he got him. And so Woodward was captured in all of the imagery as well. But you guessed it, there wasn't just a camera when the jet took off, and there wasn't just a camera in the jet, there was a camera capturing it landing in Baton Rouge. And so when it pulled up to a stop, they rolled out the purple carpet because this is the LSU Tigers. The door opened. Kelly comes striding down the stairway. Briefcase wrapped around his shoulder as he goes off to work. Only his first stop is to, is to stop by and see the adoring fans. The Savior coach. It was an unmistakable display, capturing all the work that went on behind the scenes to, to prepare for this moment, but also all the work that was involved in presenting the scene. All of it said something big is happening here. It's a worldly picture. The arrival of an earthly savior who will restore a disenchanted fan base to their former glory. Hold on to that image. And we'll come back to it. But in this text, there's a far different picture. Of a far greater glory. Luke 2 also feels like something big is happening. You can hear it as, as we read the text. There's mention of Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor. There's mention of the Syrian governor. And then Joseph is, is taking a journey to the city of David, no less. It's a small little village, Bethlehem. But it was the birthplace of King David. With that run-up, we get to verse 6. The time came. Not, and it just so happened. No, the time came. Everything in this text is building up to that point and reminding us here today that our God is sovereign and he is moving heaven and earth according to his will and for our good. Caesar, Augustus, as powerful as he was, he was merely acting out the eternal decree of God. The known world, which at the time was the Roman Empire, they were all going to their 
hometowns, so to speak, for the purpose of being registered for taxation. But God had decreed it because his son was not to be born in Nazareth. His son was to be born in the city of kings, Bethlehem. In large and in small ways, our God is at work. He was then and he is now. See, our God, he, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Is that a source of comfort to you? Is it a source of comfort to know that God is sovereign over the big and the small details? Do you ever take the time to reflect on God's sovereign grace? Monday was our 24th anniversary. Praise the Lord. Happy anniversary, hon. Um, we took a few moments to squeeze in an anniversary dinner between work and a basketball game. <laughs> so as we sat for a few moments having dinner, we, we thought back on the last 24 years. It has been an adventure unlike anything that we could have scripted or would have scripted 24 years ago. Uh, a lot of twists and turns. And as we spent some time thinking about those twists and turns, Anna made a comment that landed powerfully. She said, you know, it almost feels as if the Lord has been protecting us from ourselves. 24 years ago, our desires took us in a direction. Maybe you could say the same. And... There have been many times when the Lord's sovereign grace has felt hard. There have been many times when His sovereign grace has taken us in directions we didn't intend. But they've been good. Because though we had plans and desires, His were much greater. <laughs> you ever take time to reflect on the Lord's work in your life? You ever take time to to reflect on his sovereign grace and mercy. I don't know what Mary and Joseph were thinking about. I don't know what their conversation looked like on that journey when she was nine months pregnant and they were making their way uh, from the north up in Nazareth down to Bethlehem. But the text tells us, the text we'll read next week, that she pondered these things in her heart. She took a moment to reflect. Do you take the time to ponder? It's Advent season. Let's ponder. Let's ponder that, that our God is sovereign and his sovereignty is his grace in our lives. But as we do, let's ponder the fullness of the story. This confluence of events, of geopolitics and and family travels, they, they all come to a point. And it's the point where God was breaking into creation as a child. This is the incarnation. This is what C.S. Lewis calls the grand miracle, where the, the author wrote himself into the story. God became man. 
But as I read these verses in Luke 2, and I think about the grand miracle, what strikes me this week is the ordinariness of it all. You heard the buildup. We heard mention of Roman emperors, Syrian governors, and the birthplace of Jewish kings. And then we came to the words, the time came. It's almost as if there is a drum roll in heaven. But with that buildup, does the reality feel a little flat? A baby was born. And yes, we get excited when babies are born. We get excited about the birth of a child. But for a moment, let's put it in perspective. Michael was sharing this with me lately. I I said this, and and, and later, Michelle, I'll get your take on it, and maybe it will be a bit different. But he was talking to me about the differences between... The way we view childbirth in the U.S. and the way we, uh, childbirth is viewed in the U.K. because they've had children born in both places. <laughs> and he, Michael was telling me that, you know, in the U.S. we tend to view pregnancy as a medical condition that requires a hospitalization to be fixed. <laughs> Whereas in the U.K. the pregnancy is more of a normal, ordinary course of life and so in the U.S. we admit ourselves into the hospital in the U.K. quite often babies are born at home or when they go to the hospital it's more of what we would think of as an outpatient they deliver the baby and then they go home. It's a reminder that in much of the world and for much of history childbirth is ordinary. To make matters even more ordinary, this child was born in a cave. I I tend to think of Jesus' birth in a barn, but the truth is it was probably a cave. But the point is, it's where the animals were. Jesus was born among the animals and then was placed in a feed trough. An event that hardly seems worthy of the lead-in that we have in the first verses of Luke chapter 2. What are you anticipating this Advent season? Are you anticipating something big and, and flashy? Or are you anticipating... The Savior who would be born as a child. So he might be among us. The difference between the two impacts our worship. You see, Jesus, though he is God become man, he is involved in the dailiness of life. Which tells me that as I ponder All of this and all of my life in the context of of the sovereignty of God, not only does this text serve as a call for us to reflect on his work, it's also a call for us to rest in childlike wonder over the ordinariness of it all. What does it look like for you to rest in childlike wonder over the ordinariness? 
paint a picture. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Michael and I had an afternoon visitation, and we rode together, and on our way back, we needed to stop by his house to pick something up. We drove up, and, um, and Silas was out in the cul-de-sac, just sitting there with a box beside him, perfectly happy, perfectly contented. And if you know Silas, you know what that looked look like. We, we pulled around the cul-de-sac, and he said, what you doing? We, we stopped by. We're, we're going back to the, the church. I want to ride. Michael said, okay. He got in the car, not really worried about the destination, not really worried about what we were doing, not really worried about how long it would take, just contented to be with. As we drove back over here, I said, hey, Silas, what was in that box that you had sitting beside you? And he said, oh, that was some wood I found in the trash. <laughs> so, Really? What are you going to do with it? I'll build something. What are you going to build? I don't know. Something. <laughs> Silas was perfectly happy, perfectly contented with some scrap wood. Not worried about outcomes. Not worried about what would come next. Just childlike. In wonder, resting. I am not for one moment trying to compare the birth of Jesus Christ to a pile of scrap wood. Hear that. This is God become man. But I am trying to give us all a picture of joy in simplicity. Silas was able to rest in it. How much greater can we rest in childlike wonder when the ordinary work is the work of God breaking into creation as a child? That, that God is sovereign in big and in small ways means that we can be at peace. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of our understanding of what He's doing, But this story is not finished. Because his purpose in coming tells us not merely that we should wonder over the ordinariness of it all, but it tells us why. It tells us why we can be at peace because his coming was for a purpose. God broke into creation as a child that we, you and I might become children of God. Some of us know what it is to be beloved children. Some of us have grown up in, in homes where uh, there was a heart of grace that took over all. Some of us know what it is to, to be loved regardless of effort or success. Some of us don't. Some of us didn't grow up that way. Some of us don't know now what it is like to rest in our status as beloved children. And others of us have forgotten 
Christmas is the reminder. Christmas is the instructor. Not in the way the world would say. Not because we get big flashy gifts with bright red bows on top. No. Christmas is the reminder that in Christ we are the beloved of God. And we are given the right to become children of God. I've tried to take these seven verses and and emphasize three words within them. The time came. And I've done that because I'm trying to draw out for us the beauty of God's sovereign grace. The blessing of being able to rest in His sovereign grace. Those three words highlight that truth, but but in Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul tells a similar tale, talking about the fullness of time. But there in Galatians 4, he unpacks for us the full implication of this fullness of time. If I may, I'd like to read for you Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Here are the echoes in Galatians 4 of Luke 2. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. spoke of the, the circumstances of Jesus' birth, the, 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 the humble estate into which he was born. Placed in a manger. But his humility is not merely on display by virtue of the circumstances of his birth. His humility is most supremely on display in the fact that he was born at all. He was born of a woman, meaning that he became fully man. Understand, this is the God of the universe, the King of kings. Condescended to be born as a baby. Born of a woman, and he was born under the law, meaning he submitted himself to the law. This is not a picture of a privileged son who shoves aside all of his expectation no Jesus truly humbled himself he came under the law what does that mean (laughs) again a picture we were planning for worship on Wednesday and and talked to MK if you didn't know what MK does during the week is she's an elementary school music teacher (laughs) we're talking about what happens when she has to take the first graders either to the auditorium or to even the bathroom? <laughs> what do you do when you take first graders to the bathroom? Well, you line them up as best you can in single file. <laughs> and you walk along, saying as close as you can to the wall, and you line them up. And all the while, the kids are flailing about. They're bumping into each other. They're bumping into the wall. They're being 
kids and the teacher is trying to keep some order in the place so the kids can simply go to the bathroom. Jesus, being born of a woman, being born under the law, is a picture of the king of kings, the king of the universe, the the instrument of creation, walking in single file with a group of first graders so that he can have permission to go to the bathroom. When the time came, he came willingly. He willingly subjected himself to the law because it was the only way that he could save lawbreakers like you and I. Through his coming and through his obeying, And through his dying, he redeemed unruly children like you and I so that we might receive adoption as sons of God. And through our adoption into the family of God, we might become sons, no longer slaves. And as sons we would be given all of the rights and privileges as heirs to the kingdom. Friends, not only can we rest in childlike wonder over His work, we can rest as children, as children of God in His redemption. That is why. That is why we can rest in God's sovereign grace. We are His Because in the fullness of time, He came to us. I've talked about the ordinariness of it all. But friends, in the ordinariness, there is the extraordinary. The purpose. You remember Coach Kelly coming into Baton Rouge? When when he came off of the, the jet, when he walked across the purple carpet the camera kept rolling the crowd was off to the side and and Kelly walked up to them but he only went so far because it was a fence between the crowds and the savior coach when Jesus came there was no fence do you see the extraordinary nature of the ordinary entrance He came that he might dwell among us. Jesus broke into creation with a very different storyline. He came to walk with us. He came to walk our steps. He came to know us. God became man. He might dwell among us so that he might redeem us, so that he might claim us as his own. And to accomplish this mission, our God moved heaven and earth. He did then, and he still does today. This Christmas, I invite you to join me. As we reflect on his work, as we ponder his sovereign grace, I invite you to join me as we rest in all of it with a sense of childlike wonder. Knowing that when the time came, Jesus, as a work of His grace, gave up His place for a time. 
so that by faith we might be secure in him for all time. Father, your, your plan is greater than ours. Your way is higher than our way. You are good. You are gracious. Would you open our hearts to hear this truth of this Savior so that we might receive and rest upon Him alone as He is offered to us in the gospel. Do this, we pray, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.